Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch. Because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School. A podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And we don't know how to lead into a podcast. So. Nope. Still don't. It's been, uh, what, six episodes now? Still don't uh, have a clue. Five episodes, but. Close enough. It feels like six sometimes. <laughs> Morgan, how has your week been? It's been pretty good, all things considered. You know, how about you? Well, I, I'm going to date the recording of this episode. So we normally do our episode recordings on a different night of the week. But this stuff came up. And so right before this recording, I was busy watching a wrestling pay-per-view, specifically All Elite Wrestling's All Out pay-per-view. Uh, and I kept on having to apologize to Morgan because it was going long. And I was like, I, I swear we're doing this recording still. I haven't given up on the podcast. <laughs> Baywatch forever in my heart, you know. And uh, what happened was during the middle of the show, they had to extend. They had to like make up for all this time because one guy who is maybe like 47 years old was supposed to do a spot where he like fell off of. A, do you know what a genie lift is? Yeah. Yeah. So he's supposed to fall off a genie lift slash a cherry picker, whatever, onto a table. So he falls onto the table and that part goes great. But then his head hits to cement. Uh, like oh, the back no. of his head hits the cement and clearly like the referee goes up to him and is like, uh, are you okay? And he's like out, he's just concussed. So she, what they do in wrestling is when someone's injured, the referee will throw up an X with their arms to show, okay, like someone, you know, hospital, whatever, get a, get a doctor. So the doctor comes up and he's like tapping him and he's like, are you okay? And you can see he's clearly like coming to, and he's saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Like, let this go on, which you should not let them do that because yeah, you know, no. if they're concussed, like they, they don't know. Um, so, uh, what happens is they sort of communicate to his opponent, Hey, like he's concussed, but he's saying he's okay. And we think he's good. Like let's rush to the finish of the match. Let's rush to the end of it. Uh, Cause th the problem was they set up the match where if the guy who fell on his head lost, he would have to leave the company and they're like, fuck that messes up all of our plans. If we do that, can't do that. So, we got to figure out some way to just like recover this. But what ended up happening was he was so concussed. He, he couldn't really like complete that idea. So he tried to get up to his feet and he just kept on stumbling and falling down. And they were like trying to go back and forth between like, should we continue this? Should we not? And eventually he got to his feet and they did like their last spot where the other guy who was doing fine fell off of a giant thing. And it was believable enough where you're like, okay, that seems like a thing where he could just do that one thing and you'd be like, okay, he's out, he's done. Um, but he didn't take any more what it's called a bump when you like when you fall uh, in a wrestling match, when you like fall on your back or do anything like that. And he was taken to a hospital. But they had to like kill all this time while they're trying to figure out like, did we just kill a man like on live pay-per-view? Fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, he's alive. Okay, what do we do? So... It went longer than expected, and that is the start to today's Baywatch podcast. 
<laughs> is he okay as far as you know uh he's in the hospital uh his wife who is notably um i would call her one of those people who you might think of as an overshare when it comes to like tweeting she tweeted a text she sent her husband where she was like hey baby i love you and he's like i gotta go out to the match talk to you afterwards and she's like love you babe and then her next texts are matt what the fuck matt Matt, what the fuck? <laughs> Why the fuck did you do that, Matt? Uh, and she was very unhappy, and she was like, "Anybody there, they would have, they should have stopped the whole thing right there, and cared yeah. about his life." But then they kept on defending it throughout the show, being like, "Well, he said he was fine, and the doctor inspected him, and he was fine." But I'm like, he's not fine. Like he he's in his late forties and in his career he's taken millions of hits to the head and concussions and like work through them. So he like knows what to do. But you really don't know what to do if you're concussed. That's the literal point of a concussion. Yeah. Yeah, that feels like maybe a bad idea to keep fighting people when you've just had a concussion right so the funny part about the night was that right before that in a match before a different guy named matt he just debuted it was like his first thing and then he immediately messes up his big spot falls and kind of like lands on his shoulder really badly and so everyone's like no the name matt is cursed and then another guy who once wrestled as a matt hurt his nose and it's like okay so if you're a mat tonight you're just cursed and then someone got blood on the ring mat and they're like yeah matt is just cursed (laughs) (laughs) so well it's been a night but other than that like i i'm really excited for this episode not necessarily because this episode is great but because i think i'm feeling more invigorated and excited and just generally more positive than i have been in a while and i think that's great for this podcast but also great for just you know life Yeah, totally. Yeah, what I'll say about this episode is what I said to you when I said I was excited about this episode is I think this episode, to spoil it a little bit, hits the perfect balance of good character moments and dumb as shit plot lines. Exactly, exactly. So just some information about the episode. So first off, episode was written by Terry Irwin and directed by Kim Manners. Originally aired October 20th, 1989. So we're getting close to 1990, but not there yet. Uh, This episode features two uncredited characters. Uh, First is lifeguard Jim Barnett, who is a senior lifeguard who appears in at least one episode of every single season of this show. Um, And so he just stays as like senior lifeguard. He's seen in the first scene, uh, which we'll talk about very soon, where they're like running along the beach. The second is lifeguard Mike Newman, who appears in a ton of episodes of the show. He even appears in um, Baywatch Hawaii. And I think he also appears in Baywatch Nights. Uh, And so he just sticks through with this show the whole time. And he's the one from the pilot who they tell to not bring his toupee. Um, but mm-hmm. he's just called Lifeguard Mike Newman. That's his real name. So that's the first thing. Second is um, that uh, <laughs> so there's an actress in this episode. Uh, her name is, she, that uh, character she plays is Liz, but you might know her better as Girl from Idaho. Um, and <laughs> so this episode was actually a jumping off point for her. Her next role was a starring role in an NBC comedy that was called Working Girl. Um, and she was co-star with Sandra Bullock. And oh, oh. this show went one season 
and was canceled by NBC. Uh, <laughs> but that was her next role. So like it's continuing the trend of like people going on to big stuff after Baywatch, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I'll say she actually was pretty good during this episode. Uh, given the amount of work or the amount of lines they gave her, I guess. Well, yeah, that's true. In in context, she did a surprisingly good job with a surprisingly bad part. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we could start the episode. I mean, there's, it starts right off with a song. Uh, oh, it sure does. And uh, I have the lyrics to all the songs tonight. We're going to get into more nuance of how songs work in this show. Uh, but this first song is just, you have all your lifeguards running on the beach. Um, so let me, let me read the lyrics to you. Please. Well, we do what we love and we love who we do it with. When push <laughs> comes to shove, then you see all that teamwork is. So bring on the fight. We've got to push it through. Call me day or the night. I will be there for you. Stronger together are birds of a feather and sound as the bond of the hearts. Stronger together, whatever the weather. Now nothing can tear us apart. Tear us apart. Ah, ah, stronger together (laughs) are birds of a feather and sound as the bonds of the hearts. Stronger together, whatever the weather. And nothing can tear us apart. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the things... I believe we've mentioned it in the past, but I want to restate it here. There's two different versions of every episode. There's the broadcast version, and then there's the release to Amazon Prime DVD version. And the major difference between the two is the music. So I've been watching the broadcast version where Michael's been watching the remastered Amazon DVD version. So I did not get to hear this song, and I'm very sad and may have to switch over to the torrented version. I mean, the definitely legal Amazon slash DVD version, because I would never do anything illegal like torrent to show. Correct. Um, But I have better music, which actually I think makes the episode slightly worse. Yeah, it probably kind of does. One of the things I love about this scene is it is the first scene in the show so far that is what I expected when we started this podcast, it is which was what? five five lifeguards running through the morning fog on the beach in slow motion, and it just feels like what I assumed Baywatch was. Just <laughs> these very attractive, young-looking people, except for one guy who's clearly. 30 years older than that's, everyone else. That's that's lifeguard Jim Barnett. <laughs> okay. I I figured he had to be someone special or important because A, we never see him again in this episode, and B, he's clearly 30 years older than everyone else, which is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It was just very but, but weird. As we learned from the pilot with Al, if you get too old, you're just a liability. <laughs> But yeah, lots of slow motion running shots of them on the beach. And then you see all of them like working out in the sand, doing push-ups on the beach, which (laughs) I mean, I'll be the first to admit I'm not especially athletic, but push-ups on the beach feels like 
just a bad idea. I feel like push-ups on the beach is like the rejected name for our podcast. (laughs) That's actually a great name. I want to start like, it's a half clothing line, half shaved ice company called (laughs) push-ups on the beach. (laughs) All our clothes are themed after push pops. Oh, Morgan, I think we got some million dollar moves right here. You know it. I'll have to break out my sewing machine and get us started. Oh, boy. But yeah, it's a very it's a very Baywatch opening scene, or at least what I assumed Baywatch would be like, where they're in a rowboat and then they're working out. And then suddenly there's six people instead of the five that were in the initial montage. And maybe there always was. They all look extremely generic, except for that one lifeguard you mentioned (laughs) <laughs> looks so out of place compared to the rest of them. Just so old. And then the scene ends, and it turns out none of this mattered because we don't see any of them ever again in this episode. Yep. And they're never referenced. Yep. Next, we cut to my favorite weird plot line of this particular episode, which is that we cut to a boat where a guy is robbing the boat and stealing earrings and jewelry from a woman whose companion seems to be tied up behind her. And then another one shows up, another robber shows up and the two of them have very like stereotypical dialogue about how they're going to rob these people and steal their boat. And then the woman asks, what are you going to do with me? And then we smash cut away. Immediately. So they 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 take they like take a wedding ring. They say there's a buyer they need to meet. Then they say they're taking the boat. And she asks, "What about us?" And the first time I watched this episode, because I as I mentioned before, I usually watch these episodes a few times um, because I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> is the first time I watched it, I was like the bourgeoisie asking, "What about us?" <laughs> and the second time I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, wow, they literally have no way to get home. What about them?" And then I'm like, they never cut back to what happened to these people. Are they alive? Are they dead? Like, I don't know. And now I'm very worried. I mean, I have a theory about what happens to these two based on the scene later in the episode. Uh, Oh, I think I already know what what you're going to say. Yikes. The the one other thing I do want to say about these two robbers who will later learn are pirates, which (laughs) are, yar. Sure. Pirates are definitely a threat in los angeles in the 90s okay we're just gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna assume that's a thing um but they they have the most 90s dad look oh yeah and i love it rat tails oversized college sweatshirts khaki pants and a little bit of scruff honestly they both look like they were like rejects for a uh hollow notes cover band yes absolutely absolutely (laughs) i'm not even sure that they're real actors (laughs) i would absolutely believe that the two of them had just gotten done recording a yacht rock cover of man eater i was gonna say rich girl just because of the money but yeah well that's that's the b-side oh well sometimes the b-side is better than the a-side like in the case of um ice ice baby oh true true that was the b-side Really? I did not yeah, know that. The A-side was a cover, and I can't remember 
what? I'm going to find it out really quickly. Ice, <laughs> ice, baby. This is so, the premium 90s content you've subbed to this pod for. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So it was a cover to play that funky music. Holy shit, really? <laughs> yeah, so that was the A side, but the single wasn't successful and then one of the, uh, some DJ was like, "Yeah, let me flip the let me flip the the vinyl or let me flip the record." And they're like, "Oh, this this track's cool." And then uh that's uh I size baby for you. <laughs> huh. I'm going to have to listen to that after this recording. Yeah, I mean, here's the the weird part. It wasn't successful. But it reached number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Wow. But if you compare that to like Ice Ice Baby, which hit number one, yeah, it seems successful. But that's like number four in the 90s is like when Cake hit number one in the 2000s. (laughs) Because nobody cares about Cake. Sorry, fans of the band Cake. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you right there. I love me some cake. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying when they hit number one, nobody cared. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Except for the fact that literally people cared because they hit number one. (laughs) I'm saying nobody cared. Sorry. I mean, all I can say is that they're going the distance and they're going for speed. I I hate you so much. (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) Please take us to the next plot point. Can do. Next up is Officer Garner, who shows up in Mitch's office and gives him the third missing person report of the month and tells Mitch that it must be pirates. Again, (laughs) a thing that everyone was worried about in the 90s, I guess. (laughs) I was only six when the 90s ended, but I feel like pirates were the thing that people were concerned about. But I could be wrong. As someone who is a little bit older than you who is, uh, you know, born in 91. No, we were not worried about pirates. (laughs) The only pirates I was concerned about at that age were the pirates in SpongeBob. So today someone brought up uh, the VeggieTales pirates. Ooh, Uh, also those pirates, yes. So, yeah, there are a few pirates. And I mean, like, I was constantly playing Monkey Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I was all about those pirates. Uh, okay, but not- so maybe, maybe there were more pirates in the 90s than I was aware of. Yeah, but just not pirates in L.A. <laughs> These are all like, you know, Melee Island somewhere in the Caribbean or like in, I don't know, Veggielandia. I don't know where the Veggie Tales <laughs> live. <laughs> but important, important thing you miss in this scene was that Mitch ponders over a receipt for $36 of donuts. And this seems to be a frequent theme throughout the show, that Mitch just sees very high prices for donuts. And I'm hopeful that this leads to donut inflation by the end of the show. (laughs) And it's just like... At the like, there's a whole episode where Mitch is just like, I spent a thousand bucks on donuts. What do I do? <laughs> That's my hope. Ultimate Baywatch plot. Yeah. Yeah. The only other bit I want to I want to talk about with this particular scene is there's an exchange near the end of this particular scene as Officer Garner is leaving where he goes, it's been a bad month for beach cops. And then Mitch says something that I didn't bother writing down because it was generic and unimportant. And then as Officer Garner is leaving the office, he turns around and goes, Now look here, why don't you do something about that beach? 
It'd be a much nicer place if you could figure out how to get rid of all that sand and water. Get you some concrete, a little asphalt, pave that sucker over, and starts laughing and walks off. Which just like, I I want to find out the origin of Officer Garner's vendetta against sand. Because we could have some real Star Wars prequel nonsense here. Oh yeah. For it. Oh man, I wonder if sand just got everywhere for him. <laughs> just everywhere. Uh, so then uh, that scene ends abruptly. And what do we get next? Next up, we find out that Shawnee ran over Eddie's foot with a truck. I also spent this entire episode convinced it was Jill who ran over Eddie's foot with a truck because the copy I'm watching A is in 480p and B, everyone in this show looks fucking exactly the same. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jill <laughs> has long straight hair. Shawnee has wavy hair that's usually up and she's younger. This is true, but in a lot of this episode, Shawnee's hair is down and kind of straight. So I thought it was Jill. Okay. Well, maybe I just have the benefit of watching in the non 480p version. That uh, could help. And uh, <laughs> also, I can just, I don't know, tell women apart. Uh, like you. <laughs> wow. Wow. I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. But it, tell me what uh, Jelani said. I forget exactly what she says. Do you have it written down or? No, that was just a general expression. Please continue describing the scene. Sure. Sure. Yeah. She goes to try and give Eddie first aid, but he's real mad at her for running him over with a truck, which, I mean, is a fair thing to be mad about. So Yeah, I mean, there's a whole Venture Brothers episode about it. I gotta watch that show sometime. You should, because they announced today it was probably canceled. Aww. After, I mean, it gets, it's messy, but I have the first three seasons on DVD. We can watch it sometime. It is amazing. But this isn't a Venture Brothers podcast. You see... It's a Baywatch, because this is Baywatch (laughs) Rookie School. Continue. (laughs) Yeah, basically, Shawnee and Eddie are are fighting throughout this scene and throughout this entire episode. They're done dating, I guess, or something. It's never really been clear. They weren't dating. I think they were just they were just flirting. That's true. But it is a very abrupt tonal shift between the two of them, where previously they'd been all like flirty and having fun with each other and then now like they hate each other for some reason well if if someone i was flirting with drove over my foot with a car and then blamed me for it i'd probably be pretty mad too yeah that's fair like that's fair no matter what luckily no one i've ever flirted with has driven over my foot with a car but i have had cases where they've accidentally bitch slapped me in the face (laughs) it wasn't on purpose i wasn't being a creep or anything the one time my favorite is specifically they went to grab the drink from the waiter and my face was just there. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to envision that, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> What's not to get? They tried to reach and my face was also just there to then grab my drink uh, and their hand just was like. Brr. Yeah, uh, I'll take your word for it. But luckily, uh, Mitch Mitch shows up at this point to break up the fighting between Shawnee and Eddie. He does a little first aid on Eddie because Shawnee can't be trusted, I guess, for some reason. Yeah. Um, and then to get the two of them back on speaking terms, he tells them that 
they're going to be working together for the next 24 hours straight. Yep. I didn't know lifeguards did that because what we've gone over the last few episodes is that they close up shop after a certain amount of time and then like they're not paid off hours or like they just don't do their thing or you're supposed to get off the beach and they're supposed to be communicating with like the radio tower. So it's weird that they would then be put on a 24 hour shift. It just doesn't seem feasible. Exactly. Especially for a job like being a lifeguard where you would think you would want everyone as fresh as possible so that they can save lives. Uh, I'm going to counter that with no. <laughs> You make a convincing argument. I always do. The next scene is one I'm very excited for because we finally get a glimpse of what I'm pretty sure is our namesake, even though they never officially say it, but it's Rookie School. Yay. Hobie and two other kids are hanging out. We don't learn their name for 20, 30 minutes later into the episode. I don't even think we learn one of their names. I've had to look up, look it up. To look up what the the girl's name is. Yeah, we do very briefly. Um, Clark, like, says her name off screen as a scene cut happens. Oh, OK. I mean, I know what it is, but I in my notes, I mostly just said the girl and I felt really bad the entire time. Same, same. Yeah, her name is Jenny and the other kid's name is Clark. And then we've got Hobie. But yeah, we don't we don't learn Jenny's name until about 35 minutes into this 45 minute episode. Yep. <laughs> um, and we only learn Clark's name like five minutes before that. So, yep. but yeah, the Clark, Hobie and Jenny are, are hanging out. And then Jenny says that she's got keys to her dad's boat. And asks if Hobie and Clark want to go on a cruise. Uh, one of my favorite parts about this scene is Clark kind of messes with Hobie and says, and I think I have the direct quote here. Hey, Hobie, here comes your geeky girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And Hobie responds, she's not geeky and she's not my girlfriend, uh, <laughs> which uh, I'm glad he also defended her geekiness. But like this was 89 and you can't be geeky and be cool, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah, that part sucks. Uh, if only this show had been made in 2020, where it's like, yeah, she is geeky, but she's <laughs> not my girlfriend. Yeah, there's not a there's not a whole lot else to this scene. It's pretty much just setting up where we're going to go for the rest of this episode. Right. Uh, next up is a short scene where Gail shows up and tells Mitch that she's going to end up moving to Columbus and she wants to take Hobie with her because she thinks that the life on the beach is going to be bad for Hobie. <laughs> Which but, she thinks it's somehow going to be better in, sorry, anybody listening, Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> like, never have I heard someone compare, well, unless you're in another place in Ohio, no one has ever comparatively said that Columbus, Ohio was the better choice. Especially compared to LA. Like, even if you're not thinking that, oh, you're going to spend your whole life being a lifeguard or whatever. Like, L.A. has to have more opportunities than Columbus, Ohio. The only thing I think L.A. is worse than Columbus, Ohio in is probably people trying to 
passive aggressively ignore the fact that there is a uh, wage gap and that there's a lot of homeless <laughs> people. I remember the the second time I went to California, we were flying over L.A. and uh, it was my dad at the window seat, then me, and then some random person. Uh, and I was going for WrestleMania, uh, and um, I look out the window and I'm like, "Wow, that looks like a slum." And the woman who has not talked this whole flight taps me on the shoulder and goes, it is a slum. And then just goes back to like reading or whatever. And I was like, what? Like, and then I I poke at my dad and my dad's like, yeah, no one's going to acknowledge that once we touch ground, son. (laughs) Like it's, uh. It's it's not great. Columbus, on the other hand, everyone's just like, yeah, we're all poor. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I actually have not been to Columbus, Ohio, so I know nothing about it as a city, but I'm going to take your word for it. It's not. I make an overgeneralization for the sake <laughs> of of making an overgeneralization. Sure. Uh, but it's just that Ohio is kind of rough sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. You know what else is rough? The fact that Hobie overhears his parents arguing. What? And, <laughs> and you can tell that uh, he's not taking it super well, as we'll find out later in this episode. But Mitch notices that Hobie is listening and tries to comfort him. And then Hobie makes some excuse about how he didn't actually hear much and it's fine and whatever. So he runs off to go steal a boat with Jenny and Craig. Yeah. Which I'm just now realizing is Jenny Craig, like the famous celebrity dietitian. It's Jenny and Clark. Same era, right? I think. It's not Craig, it's Clark. Oh, you're right. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to ruin your Jenny Craig (laughs) fantasies. Uh, In this scene, Hobie says. The marina is not far enough when Jenny suggests where to go. And then he also says the moon isn't far far enough. So Jenny's just like, well, what about the Channel Islands? And he's like, yeah, that seems about like the middle distance. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, but you you wanted to go farther than the moon. How is it that the Channel Islands are good enough for you? Like, you shouldn't just settle, Hobie. That's your problem. I have this same line written down because it struck me as just so overwritten and melodramatic of the marina is not far enough. The moon is not far enough. How about the Channel Islands? Sure, sounds great. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Sure, okay. And then here's, again, where the music matters, because my note next up is, this is the first real song in this whole show, which is Rome by the B-52s, as the three kids steal a boat from the marina and go out towards the Channel Islands. And the other thing that I found interesting was that the rowboat that they're dragging behind their boat is the same one from the opening. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Now, I'm very curious because from what I understand, this song is very different in the version that you watched, and I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, so uh, we, right before this recording, uh, I mentioned uh, that there's this song, um, and Morgan was like, oh yeah, it's Rome by the B-52s. And I was like, <laughs> no, it isn't. He's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. And I decided to share with him my version. And he just was like, what is this song? And that's when I realized that I've been watching the better version of this show. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm going to take a risk here, and I'm going to try and sing this song badly. Please do. Um, so, uh, as Morgan said, the scene is set where they they go to the marina, they try to get the boat, they take the boat, they go to the Channel Islands, they get out and they go on the island. So the song goes, me and my friends are the lucky ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All the time in the world and we're on the run. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nothing is wrong when you're feeling young. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sailing on through just to live it up. And there's nothing we can't do. We got no destination. Oh, 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 oh. I'm feeling ready. Oh, I'm feeling ready. We got no destination. Oh, 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 oh. It's the beginning. Just, just the beginning. We got no destination. Oh, oh, oh. I'm feeling ready. Oh, I'm feeling ready. We got no dest. I, by the way, I copy these lyrics directly from the <laughs> subtitles. That's how I know how many times to do this. We got oh, yeah. no destination. Oh, oh, oh. It's the beginning. Just the beginning. Sailing on through just to live it up. 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 Sailing on. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bravo. Bravo. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to overpower my mic there uh, by using my full range of my voice, which isn't actually a joke. Uh, but uh, this song was the one of the three in this episode. I felt like I could actually remember how to sing uh, because it's so simplistic uh, and it kind of just goes on forever. As I, as you can see, they say sailing on through just to live it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> eight times. Like this is just genius songwriting. <laughs> I may have to, during the edit process, go in and lay some of this song under you singing. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I will supply you with the video. Uh, and yeah, that way you can just do it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be on. Uh, I mean, it's going to make it's going to take some work. But if you do it, holy God, Morgan, uh, oh, I will. Be I will definitely make this happen. Great entertainment. So. After sailing on through just to live it up, <laughs> sailing on through just to live it up, and in fact, sailing on, they're finally on the island and they and talk they're for living a bit. it up. Yeah. Well, they're living moss, as we like to say here in the Taco Bell world, uh, which r slash Taco Bell closed. Yes. Uh, which isn't the real Taco Bell subreddit. No. Uh, the real Taco Bell subreddit is r slash living moss. But, um, our slash talk about closed until Taco Bell returns the Mexican pizza. Uh, now, having had Taco Bell last night, I have a quick opinion about Taco Bell, which is that I hate the fact that they're that one of their combos is chicken chalupas. When everyone knows beef or steak is the better version of a chalupa. Um, this is true, but their shredded chicken was pretty great, and I am sad to be losing that. See, I never had it because I was always like, I just want, be I want their shitty beef. 
I don't know. There's just something special about their shitty beef that's just like, it just hits your soul in the right way, you know? I agree for the most part, but their shredded chicken quesadilla was a top tier item. Oh, actually, I did have that. You're right. That was top tier. That was absolutely top tier. It's so good. Rest in peace, shredded chicken quesadilla. F's in chat. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, they're finally on the island and they talk for a bit and we don't care. Uh, like Clark says something about, uh, you know, like some grand adventure he went on at a camp and, and Jenny is like, are you sure you did that? And he says, as sure as I am standing here. Uh, and then they immediately fall through a trap. Oh, Um, it was so good. It was so good. I also want to point out that they very explicitly foreshadow that they're going to fall at some point by the fact that all three of them, they spend a very long time like making shots of the three of them trying to climb up this mountain and almost slipping and falling. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we couldn't possibly believe that kids climbing up a mountain they're not familiar with would fall without extensive foreshadowing. Yeah. Well, just remember, uh, there's nothing we can't do. We got don't, no destination. I'm feeling ready. Oh, oh, I'm feeling ready. <laughs> it's clearly all foreshadowed by their hubris from that this is song. True. Um, foreshadowed by a song that would not be in the original version and was only added later. <laughs> yep. So once they fall down the hole, Hobie talks about the movie Predator. Mm-hmm. And, and then Hobie says that Clark walked out on Teen Wolf, which I feel like is unnecessary characterization for someone we will not give a shit about. Yes. I also was kind of disappointed that it took them, what, three episodes to go back to. There's a group of kids who went to a place they're not supposed to be and are now trapped inside of some sort of cave. So as I mentioned on early in the history of this podcast... After season one, they kind of apparently stopped doing violence on children. And I feel like maybe the American public watched too many episodes of kids getting stuck, specifically young Aryan children getting stuck. (laughs) Uh, And maybe it creeped out, you know, Aryan America a little bit too much. Well, we Um, do have our first non-white character in this entire show in this episode because Clark is black. Right. However, uh... If he wasn't named Clark, or not if he wasn't named Clark, if he wasn't given a name, he would have mattered not at all. Yes. Like, like he he serves no purpose other than at one point he makes a very funny fuck up that we will talk about later. Yes. Um, but yeah, like he is unimportant. Ultimately, the only people that matter are these two are is this young Aryan boy and this young Aryan girl mm-hmm. named Jenny and Hobie. Mm hmm. But yeah, they they explore this cave a little bit and come across a guy who I later in the episode realized was supposed to be dead, but definitely does not read as dead in this initial scene because A, he's breathing um, and (laughs) I didn't notice that way too fresh for a dead guy. Oh, he's very fresh. Uh, He is like a Tropicana fresh. (laughs) This man is fresh squeezed orange juice. You see, uh, this is the part where I also, again, date tonight's episode. So on this wrestling pay-per-view, they had a match 
where the only way you could win was either by pin submission or throwing the opponent into a giant vat of orange juice. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the classic three ways to win a wrestling match. Right. So they called it the first ever mimosa mayhem. And so because there's a character named Orange Cassidy and Orange Cassidy's thing is that he's the laziest man to have ever existed, but he also really likes his vitamin C. And he pre- he previously dumped orange juice on uh, Chris Jericho's $7,000 blazer jacket. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to kill you, Orange Cassidy, for messing up my blazer. Uh, so... In this match, you have your ring, and on both sides, they have, like, tables set up with some champagne, and then just a circle, which is, like, a net, and there's just this, like, orange tang-looking thing, uh, and they're like, oh, it's 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 mimosa mix or something. <laughs> it's clearly just, like, non-sticky tang, but at one point, like, they, like, fill up a champagne glass with it and then, like, throw it in the other person's face, and they, like, sell it as if, like, their eyelids are sticking to their face or something. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. I do want to talk for a second about the phrase non-sticky tang, because I hate it, and I don't want to listen <laughs> Tell me to more about it. Again. <laughs> Tell me more about it. I feel like I find a phrase every episode now that you hate. Last week it was daddy. Uh, no. Yeah, was it daddy? Yeah, it was daddy. And then this week yeah. it's non-sticky tang. <laughs> <laughs> Just on a, on a quest to gross me out every episode. Uh, yeah. Good content. I mean, it also is what makes for a good friendship. Uh, uh, it's just gross out humor, <laughs> except for in this case, it's not gross out humor. It's just Tang. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they also find bullet casings in this cave, uh, yes. which isn't really that important, uh, but they try to pretend that it's important. Yeah, it it again slightly foreshadows something two scenes later that doesn't need foreshadowing. Exactly. There's one more quick scene between um, Mitch and Craig where Mitch is going into his office and Craig shows up and talks about how Craig's going to be Mitch's lawyer in the custody hearing for Hobie. And then Gail shows up and asks if Mitch has seen Hobie anywhere. And literally as soon as she finishes saying that, Someone calls Mitch's office and says, oh, my God, Hobie just stole a boat and is missing. Okay, sure. We're just going to. Yep. That's how things work. But yep. Uh, There's there's two highlights to this scene. Mm -hmm. The first is that Craig comes there in his lifeguard gear. Yes. uh, And Mitch lambasts him for it. And Craig says, well, you you put me on duty, which is why I'm dressed like this. Gail then comes. Right, it is. Galen comes in looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, great job, Gail. You are you are pulling off that like I want to make my divorce husband or my my ex husband jealous look. Very and, 90s power suit, big shoulder pads. I love it. It's I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, and then she also is like, Craig, is that what you're gonna wear? Uh, and so thus starts our, our trend of just let's just shit on Craig, which yeah. I'm fine with. There's one more quick exchange in this scene that I love, which is once Mitch gets done with the phone call where a random person has reported Hobie as missing. Gail says, is Hobie in danger? And Mitch says, 
He knows his way around a boat. And Gail says, that's not what I asked. Which, yeah, dog, that is a very good point. <laughs> I, I mean, Gail's a good mom. Uh, yeah. And Mitch is 50% of the time a great dad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we cut back to the kids after this. Oh, before that, uh, Gail, mm-hmm. important is that Gail blames Mitch for letting this happen, um, which is key because it's kind of like representing the fact of why Hobie is so annoyed by hearing or by his parents in their situation is because Mitch is constantly like argues with Gail and Gail is annoyed by Mitch's lifeguard lifestyle and his career. Uh, and she thinks that Mitch being this like big, you know, head honcho lifeguard is clouding Hobie's mind. And thus he does crazy things like this because of Mitch. Um, and it's sort of setting up this like pattern throughout the episode of them trying to uh, tear that down so that they understand each other. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Great. And you're going to say nothing more on it? I thought I had more to say and then I didn't. <laughs> that's fair. All right. Back to the episode. Yeah. the We cut back to the kids. Uh, they've found a camp and they start just randomly stealing supplies from this camp and then they find a whole bunch of bullets in a coffee can (laughs) you know where you store bullets that's where i store bullets yeah oh same and then my note here is i guess this is the pirates from earlier because conservation of characters means that this has to be relevant Oh, yeah. Isn't that what's called a uh, Chekhov's gun? No, it's not. <laughs> it's a Chekhov's, bu- Chekhov's bullet in a tin. <laughs> yeah, you know, when uh, and when Chekhov wrote The Seagull, I'm sure that what he was imagining uh, his work to be later interpreted as was a show about lifeguards, mm. um, which I'm waiting for the episode of Baywatch as his just Chekhov's The Seagull, because uh, <laughs> this is not it. But that, that episode is going to be wild if it does exist. I'm personally hyped for the episode of Baywatch that is going to be Franz Kafka's The Cockroach. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> what what other animal? <laughs> what? Where's the A Bug's Life episode? Yeah. The Clifford the Big Red Dog episode, I hear, is pretty fire. Oh, yeah. Which of the 40 million Clifford the Big Red Dog stories are they going to adapt? <laughs> it's the one where he saves them from a fire. Is it the one where he saves them from a different fire? Is the one where it's like Clifford and the and the earthquake? Is the one where it's like Clifford makes friends with small dogs? Is it the one where Clifford makes friends with bigger small dogs? <laughs> Look, the possibilities are endless. Is it like Clifford meets Waldo? I don't know. I'm impressed with your knowledge of Clifford. <laughs> I used to read a lot of Clifford, but my favorite one is Clifford meets meets Mitch from Baywatch. (laughs) (laughs) The episode where Mitch is just like, wow, you're a big dog there, buddy. And Clifford is like, woof. And Mitch is just like, got to go back to the beach. And it was a 70 page novel. (laughs) They just don't write books like they used to, you know. They sure do not. And by write books like they used to, I mean reuse the same story with a large red dog i mean that's what we could do yeah but i mean we shouldn't put all of our all of our baby pups in 
in one basket. <laughs> All of our big red dogs in one basket. All of our large red dogs in one truck that almost runs Eddie over again. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's get back to that truck. Yeah, we cut back to that truck where Shawnee is driving the truck and is about to back out of the garage when Eddie goes to get in the passenger side and she almost runs him over again. And then there is a long... Well, she knows... She knows she's going to do that. Yeah, this one this one feels very, like, flirty, teasy, kind of. Right, and it's especially because right before that, she has this line that says, just because you're a guy, you think you're in charge. Well, I got news for you, bucko. Yeah. And then Eddie is like, fine, you get to drive. And then it's her being like, power, Shawnee, which I am all here for. Yeah, I actually really liked that exchange. I felt like it was surprisingly progressive for, again, this being a fairly sexist show in 1989 that they almost immediately undercut by during this montage there is the most male gaze in anything i've ever seen which is they go down to the beach and they're trying to rescue someone and shawnee rescues the person and oh i know what shot you're talking about something and then afterwards Shawnee goes to offer Eddie the keys to the truck so that he can drive, but the camera is focused such that half of the shot is just her ass. Like, yeah, it's just like the shot is just like very focused on the left butt cheek. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like keys, butt cheek. What else is life? Yeah. Um, it takes this up is a also solid third of the screen. Like, yes. Uh, this is also. Uh, the last song of the episode. And this is one that actually has my favorite lyrics of the episode. Ooh, go ahead. Uh, I will not sing this one because I don't remember how it goes. A million faces shining in the sun as we drive on down Pacific Highway. I'm only thinking about one. I can feel the temperature rising when you look my way. Maybe today is our lucky day. If we reach for a shooting star, we can find what we're looking for. You and me hold the keys to our heart. If we want them, you can tease, but it's only a game. And I'm loving the way that we play it. Are you playing me? If we reach for a shooting star, we can be heroes together. I'm never lost when I'm there when you are. What, what what wait what is that i'm never <laughs> lost when i'm there where you are okay yeah that's it so i'll stay here forever let me hold you when we're searching for love i think you've kind of already found love at that point and we'll find that it's better when you and i are side by side like the sun will set we can change the tide because there's shooting stars you and i you and i thank you thank you beautiful absolutely absolutely <laughs> absolutely stupid but it's i love it for that you and I, you and me hold the keys to our hearts line i was like oh i see what you did there baywatch yeah yeah i'm a little sad i didn't get to hear this song when i was watching oh don't worry uh i will share it with you after this episode sounds good please um, continue now we are back to clark hobie and jenny and as it turns out, kids are not good sailors, so they didn't anchor the boat, and it drifted off. So they start making survival plans for the night. 
And then the scene ends. Yeah, they have they ask about food and Clark is like, guys, I got candy. And Hobie's (laughs) like, I'm an adult and you're stupid. (laughs) And that's basically the scene. Pretty much. We cut back to Shawnee and Eddie at this point who find a couple camping under the pier I definitely thought that they were having sex at this point, but it turns out... Oh, I did too. They are not. Um, Yeah, because they're from Idaho, and they're good, good children who have never had sex. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I particularly liked, at this point, Eddie tells the two of them, hey, no camping under the pier, and they go, but we're from Iowa. (laughs) Idaho. You know. Or Idaho. Yeah. One of those. It it, It makes kind of a difference. I don't know enough geography to have an opinion one way or the other. Idaho is basically, think of like, God, how do I piss off a whole (laughs) group of people? Uh, Idaho is like the more bumpkin version. No, let's go bogan. Let's go more bogan. Because I like that word. We're down in Aussie now? Yeah, it's the more bogan version of Eastern Washington. Hmm. I haven't spent enough time in Eastern Washington to know exactly what you're talking about, but I feel like I have a pretty good idea. Imagine it's fr- your hometown if no one did drugs. <laughs> All right. Your little your little hamlet in New York, but no one did drugs. That's what it's like. Okay. Yeah. That sounds yeah. boring. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted this entire plot line to be less boring, and I kept... So my next note here is that they are definitely trying to scam Shawnee and Eddie. Like, right, that's what I thought. It felt like a setup, but as it turns out, it's just kind of nothing. Um, Eddie wants to kick them out onto the streets, and Shawnee's like, what are you doing? You absolutely cannot do that. They'll never survive a night on the streets in Venice, so let's let them stay in the headquarters overnight. Yeah, seems... Like sound logic. Yeah, I think I agree with her on this one. The two of them seem incredibly naive and just generally like they've never stepped out of their parents' shadow before, which, to be fair, they do fairly explicitly say as they introduce themselves to Shawnee and Eddie. Yeah, we'll go into a little bit more of that in a, in a tiny bit here. But yeah, they're just kind of nothing. Yeah. And they're just harmless. Yeah. But we cut back to a much more interesting couple, which is the kids on the island. Clark is asleep by this point, and Hobie and Jenny are having a surprisingly deep conversation about how Hobie feels like he's the reason for his parents fighting all the time. And then, Which, yes, you are. I mean, to some extent, yes. These days, yes. Yeah. But my my next note is, oh, Jenny has a crush on Hobie. And Jenny says that her parents fight all the time. And then they have this exchange, which I actually thought was incredibly well written and was very good, which is so Jenny says that her parents are fighting all the time. And Hobie says, but do they still love each other? And Jenny says, yeah, but I don't think they like each other, which like, wow, that was actually surprisingly deep and insightful i mean yeah when i heard that line it kind of 
tug at a heartstring because it's like, you know, I have I have a, like a notable ex who I'm like, I still love, but I don't like them. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I can totally feel that and how like I definitely everybody kind of knows like one of those loveless marriages but loveless, I mean, it's like likeless marriages where they still care about the other person, but like they don't actually like them. Uh, and wow, like it's a great line. It really is. And then the uh, the two of them mm-hmm. go to go to kiss and then back away at the very last second. Yeah, that part also. It. I mean, it makes sense. This is like a 1989 show with some kids, and it's like you're always going to have that happen on their first showing uh, before they eventually probably do make out, you know, it's just, it's classic television. Um, I also think another great part of this scene is when Hobie's talking about how all his parents do is fight. He mentions that his mom wants to move him to Columbus, um, but maybe she'll let him stay there, which is, I mean, hopeful, uh, he doesn't really know, I think, how much his parents are actually fighting. And Jenny has this like a really sincere moment where she says, I really hope you stay. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is like our our weekly uh, our weekly moment of bliss in these episodes where you're just like, wow, there's some good writing here. And it kind of makes you really feel like it makes you feel for these characters and you have empathy for them. And then you're just like, I'm a couple from Idaho and I've, <laughs> I've never had Mexican food. And so I puked and that's when the robbers stole my passport. Oh, that exchange about the Mexican food just made me. We'll get so to that. Angry. We'll get to that. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. But yeah, like how are these the same writers? I don't get it. Yeah. I, I wish the writers would apply themselves 100% throughout the entire episode instead of just for these random one-off scenes. But, I mean, what you gonna do? I get right. it. The I next... always had 100% in my job, so... Same. The next scene is also another one of those really sweet moments. Yes. The next scene starts off with Mitch yelling at the Coast Guard about how if there are missing children... They should actually, like, you know, do their job and search for them, uh, which, mm-hmm. yes, I agree, Mitch. That is indeed what they should do. Um, but Craig shows up at that point and tells Mitch, like, listen, there's no point in you just continuing to sit here and and stress about this. Like, go get some food. You're not contributing to the kids being found any sooner by just sitting here and being stressed, which I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. So yeah, Mitch goes out to talk to Gail who is standing out on the patio by the office, looking out at the ocean. And yeah, again, this is another incredibly well-written scene where Mitch goes out to Gail and, and tells her like, Hey, listen, you know, I think we should go out and search for them, but we should like get something to eat first. And, you know, it's not doing us any good to just stand here. And Gail says that she's afraid that if she leaves, the kids are going to float by and no one will see them, which felt just 
super real to me. And I was very, very impressed both with the writing and with her acting. Like it's done so well in a show that has not had very many acting moments where I've been like, oh, these are good actors who are being given bad writing. Right. I also had that moment ran down because I thought I was really powerful. And I know that in that same situation, I would do that same exact thing because I just know how I would react. I wouldn't, I would want to be watching at all times because I'm afraid that the one moment I turn away is when things will happen. And I was just shocked by like how good the writing is. Uh, And I mean, the writing, the best writing goes to the main characters, obviously. Uh, But like, wow, like I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I agree. I think this was one of the better bits of writing that we've had. And this is what I talked about a little bit at the beginning of the episode, where I think this episode is a really interesting mix of these really well-written, interesting character moments, and then also dad pirates. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of the pirates. I just love that. Uh, Dad pirates. Oh, God. They so are, though. They they are. They're a single pair of New Balance sneakers away from being the major dad archetype. They're, They're that, or they're like, they are one mustache away from putting out a really big hit electronic album in 2004. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, they they look like they're about to drop a fire remix of Justice's Dance. Yeah, that or it's just like maybe they're going to go more to the like minimalist boards of Canada route. Yeah. Uh, Like they are absolutely like guys who went on to form electronic like electronic albums. Uh, But maybe they like eventually got out of the like the, you know, the EDM scene and got into the IDM scene. (laughs) Or maybe they got really into like Pico Pop or something like they, they got into something a little bit weird because, you know, just this whole thing wasn't doing it for them. And then they really discovered their their real niche once they decide to uh, do sea shanty pop. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be fair. They definitely got their start by dropping acid at Grateful Dead shows. So there's a little bit of funk influence on their music, but not too much, you know. I have so many thoughts on this, <laughs> considering my dad is a deadhead who didn't do acid at dead shows, which... I, I will shame him for for the rest of time. But I grew up listening to just like every single like bootleg dead recording. And I still to this day assert that the Grateful Dead is the perfect band for doing something else other than listening to the Grateful <laughs> Dead. So, for example... You need to do your taxes, put on the Grateful Dead. You got background ambient music. You need to like mow the lawn, put in some Grateful Dead. Do you want to sit down and relax? Do not put on the Grateful Dead. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Listen to something else. See, my household was a fish household. Yeah, and therefore, <laughs> like, Fish is basically just the Grateful Dead, but, like, that one sax guy got a little too crazy, and they're just like, how do we get him off stage? We don't know. I mean, Fish is the band that does vacuum cleaner solos, so, like... 
I'm not sure if you mean fish or my bloody Valentine, but that's a good that's a good shoegaze joke. Anyways, moving on. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of these dad pirates, we've got another scene with them where they are burying two dead bodies on the beach about five feet away from the kids and the kids have a campfire going that somehow the pirates didn't notice any of this. Um, this is also my theory for where the two people on the boat that we never see again end up. Um, yep. I think it's pretty clear that that's what this is supposed to be, but it's never explicitly stated. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is also where we finally learn the other kid's name who is not Hobie, which is Clark. Again, we are probably 35 minutes into the episode at this point. It's a 45 minute episode. Mm-hmm. We still haven't learned Jenny's name, but we do now know Clark's name. And, and our lives are enriched for it. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like if you're going to spend the time to set up the kids finding bullets in a coffee can, maybe you could introduce your characters. Clearly, you have some time to kill in the episode, but, you know, it's fine. Whatever. N- n- no, Morgan, we didn't call for a Chekhov's character, okay? <laughs> but yeah, the pirates finally notice the kids as they're digging because I forget exactly what the kids do, but it's something dumb where they make some noise and then the pirates start closing in on them and then smash cut to Eddie and Shawnee with the couple from earlier. And this is where... So Eddie and Shawnee and the Idaho couple are all in the headquarters and the Idaho couple tell Eddie and Shawnee, we ate Mexican food for the first time and it made us throw up. And that's how we got robbed because we left our hotel room unlocked, which whoo, I so I so badly wish we could see the scene of of <laughs> this particular chain of events, because according to the the two people from idaho who are a couple somehow the fact that they had mexican food for the first time made them throw up a whole bunch which woo, we're not even going to get into how fucking wild that is as a statement and how little sense that makes and how fucking mm-hmm. racist it is um yep but that also because of that somehow they left their hotel room unlocked even though you would think they were in said hotel room throwing up from the Mexican, whatever. Um, Most hotel rooms come with a bathroom. Yeah, uh, exactly. You would think they in case you in didn't that know. bathroom, but somehow this means that they got robbed and their passports got stolen. It, yeah. It also ooh, it means that their sense. money, their money is gone. And uh, what happened is that Liz a.k.a. future one-season co-star of Sandra Bullock, uh, says something about how they could have gotten traveler's checks, but her boyfriend said no to traveler's checks or something like that. Yeah. And it, it's a reoccurring theme in that they bring it up three times in yes. this episode, I think. Uh, there's only one of those times is important. It's not even important. It's just funny. Um but like they keep on talking about that and I kind of just want to ruin these people's lives, but, uh, they only appear one more time Mm -hmm. in this episode and I'm going to spoil it for you. Sorry. They're asleep. So no, there's one more time after that as well. 
where they're eating uh, a bunch of KFC. What? Yeah, right as Eddie no. and Shawnee take him to the airport. That is not in my episode. Interesting. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. All I, right, we'll talk about that later in the episode, but it's one of the last scenes. I'm like, w- w- you just said I was like, yeah, they're eating KFC. I'm like, the fuck? Yeah. Like, why would they be eating KFC going to the airport? <laughs> okay. So, apparently, this episode was sponsored both by KFC and by the Traveler's Check Lobby, because as you said, <laughs> they spent so much of this episode emphasizing how important it is to buy traveler's checks if you're going traveling. I mean, look, it's good advice. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've done a lot of traveling and never once bought a traveler's check, but you know. <laughs> well, Morgan, have you ever traveled in the past? That's fair. I haven't yet. Time travel is very important. You need traveler's checks. I mean, technically, since I'm not traveling right now, all the traveling I've done has been in the past. Man. Mm. (laughs) I mean, you're a real booster gold. Anyways, (laughs) uh, this next scene is is uh, is really sweet. Oh, oh, you should say that that Eddie says uh, you can't stay here because they're doing the search party. So they're going to, the couple is going to come with them. Right. Uh, and which means that they can't really necessarily sleep. They're going to be in a bumpy car. But anyways, exactly. Uh, the, the next scene is sweet because Gail and Mitch are on a boat and Gail is pretty sad. And uh, first thing she does is she asks Mitch to hold her. And that part's really sweet. Yeah. Um, and then Gail says that she feels like none of this would have happened if they had stayed together. And Mitch says it would have been harder for Hobie if they hadn't separated. And then Mitch asks, would it have made a difference if he wasn't a lifeguard? And she says, I don't know. But in this moment, I'm just glad you are. And I was like, what is this yeah. television show? Like, who who wrote this piece of poetry? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird and abrupt cutting back and forth between a couple from Idaho who are badly written <laughs> arguing about traveler's checks. I puke like, from Mexican food. Yeah, to this, like, very heartfelt discussion about, like, what it means to be in love and relationships and what's best for your kid if your relationship is falling apart and all of this. Right. And like, yeah, it's such whiplash between the two. Um, the other thing I want to say about this scene real quick is that it's something that I had sort of noticed throughout this entire episode, but really I think came to a head in this particular scene, which is that Mitch's mascara in this episode is so fucking on point. It is so well done. He's got like perfect, perfect eyeliner. You can see just a tiny break on one eyelid. That's very like in vogue right now, little bit of wing on it, very heavy mascara, but without feeling unnatural. And I just like, I want to give him props. I don't know how I didn't notice that, but you have the 480p version and noticed it. <laughs> like, that's impressive. Or it's not impressive on my part, but yeah, good job. It's it's all my years of theater training. I That's fair. I notice makeup on people because it's something that, like, I've spent a lot of time researching how to do for myself for when I was in shows all the time. So it's a thing I think about. My only comparable thing is 
when I was doing film for a little while, I did stuff with blood capsules and then I watched enough pro wrestling to be like, <laughs> that ain't real blood. And so I combined the two together and now I can really tell the difference between blood and fake blood. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. I mean, I guess that's a useful skill if you're ever in like a detective novel or something. It actually came... I can't tell you the full story because that would reveal this person's identity. Okay. But it did actually come in use one time in real life, which was that a friend of mine uh, got, uh, oh, um, what's the word? Um, Well, so a friend of mine, uh, he had this ex and this ex tried to send these pictures that uh, were like, uh, if you don't get back together with me, like I'm going to self harm, oh, uh, and shit. she posted these these piece. She sent him these pictures, and he was like, "Michael, like this is incredibly fucked up because you know, I I I've known him, and I actually I met the ex a few times, uh, and I mean the first sign was that the blood was in a straight line in on top and bottom of the arm." Uh, but only dripped on one side. Mm. Uh, that part was weird. The second one part was like, uh, yeah, so like the blood goes in a line, stops, and then continues like it's Morse code. Uh, and then the third part is that uh, blood isn't that color uh, <laughs> and isn't, isn't that like it's there's a different level of viscosity to fake blood versus real blood. So like fake blood, what you normally do is you like mix some water with it. You kind of spread it around a little bit because it's going to be a little bit thicker than real blood because like real blood, it, it doesn't like, like when it comes out, it's not like coagulated really. It's like, like if you look at like when someone's bleeding and it's just kind of dripping down their face, totally. right? Like it's, it's, it's pretty thin and not viscous. Yeah. I mean, um, normally fake blood is, corn syrup and red food dye so it ends up being right. fairly viscous and corn syrup is thick and viscous yeah so i was like that's absolutely fake blood and he was like oh, okay well thank you michael like now i know that she's like not actually self-harming um and like this is just kind of like a ploy on her part to get back together with me and i was like you know what you don't have to thank me you can thank professional wrestling uh, and <laughs> That's the day that professional wrestling saved love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird aside. We should quickly get back to Baywatch. Sounds good to me. Next, we cut back to the kids again, where they are pouring out a soda so that they can put a message in the bottle that is being written in lipstick. And Clark is teasing Jenny that she owns lipstick, which, I mean, I get that, like, Tween kids are fucking assholes, but like I don't know, that felt a little over the top to me. She's like twelve. Like I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Societal expectations means that girls at a very young age are expected to be wearing makeup to appeal to men. So like, what right. the fuck? But, <laughs> but like when I was twelve, girls I knew in school had had lipstick. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not odd to me yeah exactly no it felt very like weird and out of place to me but yeah clark writes a message on some piece of paper map that he has and sticks it in a glass soda bottle 
And then... This is my favorite part of the episode right here. It's so good. It's so good. There's a brief interlude before we get to the best part of it, which I will go over real quick, which is that the we cut to the dad pirates and both of them are accusing the other one of stealing their coffee can bullets. And it turns out that the bullets have jewels in them and that's why they were in the coffee can. Wait, I did not pick up on that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, because one of the dad pirates says to the other, oh my God, someone took the jewels. It was you, wasn't it? And the other one goes, no. And then they run away. Like, it's so the the writers used up all their writing on Mitch and Gale and Hobie and Jenny, where they just like could not spare a single fuck for these pirates. Maybe you didn't see the other thing that's in this scene. Maybe. Well, uh, no. So what's what's next is, I think, what what we're both talking about, which is that Hobie goes to throw the message in the bottle into the ocean. Yes, yes. And then. Just as he's about to, Clark grabs his arm and goes, no, I have a better arm for throwing and grabs the message in a bottle and goes to throw it and throws it. And then we cut to the pirates running on the beach and the message in a bottle shatters directly in front of their feet. <laughs> it just like he throws it off of a cliff and it it, it misses the water by like. I don't know, like 15 feet, maybe it just crashes on a rock and they're just like, what was that? Mm. And then they just look up there and they're like, "Uh, there are kids up there. And they're they're like, oh, crap, we got to run now. And I was like, Clark, you're so pointless. Like, this is the only point of view is to get them to chase you. Mm -hmm. Wow. You really got shafted. Yeah. But yeah, the the dad pirates start chasing the kids and then we immediately cut away back to Shawnee and Eddie, who are just watching the Idaho couple sleep in the back of their guard truck, which like some Idaho potatoes. Yeah. And then Eddie and Shawnee have a have a brief little discussion that ends with Eddie saying, is that my imagination or are we getting along better this morning? And Shawnee says, It's just that we're too tired to fight. And then the scene ends because the writers have used up all of their writing juice. And by writing juice, I mean cocaine. There is one more line and it's my favorite part. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Shawnee Shawnee says, hey, Eddie, wouldn't it be nice to be in love? Which, yeah, it is. Sure. And Eddie responds, it'd be nicer to be in love and remember the traveler's checks. Oh. I forgot about that. <laughs> Which is like, yes, Traveler's Checks propaganda. <laughs> if nothing else good comes from our podcast, I want us to be the reason that Traveler's Checks become a new cultural phenomenon. <laughs> well, I mean, look, clearly this podcast, which as of this recording, the first episode has not come out yet. Nope. It will be. Uh but clearly this podcast is just setting fashion and style mm-hmm. and economical trends worldwide. Um, and uh, somehow we in an age of the American economy where our president, I, I don't know if you saw this, hired a faux bomb. Oh, my God. Did you see yes. this? Oh, my God. Yes. Or he hired yes. a man to pretend to be Barack Obama so he could shout at him and fire him. Yes. 
in front of him and then there's an actual photo of it mm-hmm. in a world where that is the America we live in that this podcast influence the economy would be just fucking miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes roughly as much sense as anything else that has happened so far in 2020. So who knows? The only thing I can think of in 2020 that really made sense to me was the fact that you and I spent 2020 starting out drunk. Yes. And that makes that, that is actually probably the only part about 2020 that has made sense to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> can we get back to that disappointing New Year's? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, God. Anyway, um, you know what's not disappointing is that in the next Clark, because he is, Mitch and he is. Gail are at a morning briefing about the missing kids, and they definitely fucked. Um, and then that's the whole scene. There's kind of well, just like wait, nothing to that. Are scene. you sure? Because I don't know. I kind of skipped over that scene because I was just like, here's Craig telling us like locations of places that he clearly had to memorize. Yeah. So I didn't focus on it. Was it the hair? It was, was like, did they have like sex hair? It was a little bit of the sex hair. It was the glances they kept giving each other. It was just all of it. Like there was palpable sexual tension between Mitch and Gail in this scene. Nice. Good job, guys. You did it on a boat. Yeah. Great job. Great job. Now, uh, maybe you should also find your child. Right. But you know who has found their children or their child found all of the children is the pirates because they you are get it. Continue- third time's the charm, Morgan. <laughs> third time's the charm. I am going to keep making segues until I get good at them. Um, <laughs> Every single time I laugh at them, though, like, please keep doing them. They are hilarious. Thank me. you. I'm glad at least one person appreciates them. Um, I'm barely a person, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we cut back to the pirates who are chasing the kids for a bit, and then we cut to the Coast Guard who are searching for the kids, and then back to the kids climbing up the same mountain from earlier, and then the girl can't quite make it up this mountain, and we finally learn her name, again, 40 minutes into this 45-minute episode. Um, Mm -hmm. this is also the foreshadowing we had very early in the episode where the three of them almost couldn't make it up this mountain. And this time Jenny can't make it up this mountain and Craig and Hobie have to pull her up the mountain. And then they're up at the top of the hill and they hide behind a log. And then the pirates start climbing up the mountain. And then the kids go full on home alone and push a log down at the pirates And the pirates make a very comedic fall down the mountain. (laughs) And then, yeah, we cut to the Coast Guard again and spend approximately 45, 60 seconds on a scene of Craig and Jill jumping from one boat into another boat. And the second boat is the boat that the kids stole from earlier. Like, God, that scene could have been cut entirely or cut down to like, three seconds it took yep. forever and it didn't matter yep once craig and jill are on the stolen boat craig somehow figures out what island the kids are on based on what islands they're nearby and the fact that the anchor isn't attached properly 
So he and the title shifts. Yeah, that too. That too. So he tells Mitch that, oh, there could be one of two islands that the kids are on. And so Craig is going to head to one of them and Mitch is going to head to the other. And Mitch is, of course, heading to the correct one. Yeah. And they're on, I think, uh, Santa Inez. I think that's what they call it. So. Uh, point is that they're in the Channel Islands somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And Craig knows all of the islands, even though he just works at a beach. Mm-hmm. Well, as everyone knows, he practices island law in his spare time between being a lifeguard, so... I don't think that means what you think that means. (laughs) I really think that means something else much more appropriative. Yeah. uh, Or or potentially racist. Yeah, Uh, that's a good point. (laughs) I think... uh, I don't think Craig is the kind of guy to know that. I feel like Craig is probably a little bit more interested in general... uh, You're you're general... I say your general because everybody knows and every lawyer does this uh, malpractice, uh, you know, uh, identity or no, not identity. So malpractice, uh, child custody, uh, retirement law, um, you know, bank stuff, mm-hmm. um, stuff about art. Uh, he's just, you know, a jack of all trades lawyer like like. We all do, you know. Of course. When we all practice law. Yeah, I mean, most lawyers don't have a single specialty. They just practice whatever law the plot needs them to at that point. Uh, by plot, you mean whatever God has chosen for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, so then we cut to Hobie starts a fire in the hopes that people will find them. Mm-hmm. And the kids... Uh, then push the boat. Uh, they have the uh, like a rowboat, and they push it out to water. So then, Garner, uh, Officer Garner LRB, uh, and Mitch get in a helicopter, and they're flying around, and they they were going the correct direction, and they see a smokestack that's really tall, like it is taller than the highest peak of the mountain. Even though they started that fire like mm, five to ten one minute ago. ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is Godzilla sized, mm-hmm. this smokestack. And Mitch is like, I see it. Let's go for it. That's probably where they are. And so they're flying over the water. And then they see the kids in the boat. And they're pretty far out in the water. And they're like, we found the kids. And then they see another boat, a much faster boat, traveling towards them. So they see the pirates. They don't know that they're the pirates, but they see the pirates in their boat. So they chase the boat in the chopper. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the dad pirates then pulls out a gun and starts shooting at the chopper. Uh, and it's, you know, breaks some glass. So Garner pulls out his gun and shoots. This chase scene, uh, this chase scene, like, I can't emphasize enough how fucking dumb this entire chase scene is, but how great it is at the same time. <laughs> like, it's very much a made-for-TV 80s action movie chase scene, and that's yes. why I love it. Yes. The gun noises are bad. The You could have ended this chase scene mm-hmm. minutes ago. But Garner is able to... So, it's... Pilot and Garner up in the front and then Mitch in the back. So Garner is looking out the right side and he pulls out his gun and just takes like three shots and hits one of the guys. And the guy dies and falls out the side of the boat. So there's one guy left and that guy's gun is empty. Mm-hmm. So what happens is Mitch says, <laughs> lower me. 
and they they with no question lower the helicopter down towards the boat and Mitch jumps out of a helicopter at the guy and fights him on the boat. Ooh. What you so you talked earlier about how bad the gun sound effects were, and I agree. But the punch sound effects in this fight are so terrible. They're so cheesy and so bad. And it's so fucking funny. I was crying laughing watching this scene. (laughs) It's there's a lot of them. Like the fight goes on longer than it needs to. Like they trade back and forth punches. And at one point you think like, holy shit, is guy going to like knock out? Mitch and then Garner's gonna have to shoot him. Is Hobie gonna have to fight him? No, nah, it's just a case of you know, he gets a few shots in and then uh Mitch gets one lucky MMA shot on him and the guy <laughs> passes out. And uh once the guy passes out, Mitch is just like, We're done here, we got it. Yeah. We got the we got the kids. And then they kind of just cut back to the marina. Speaking of the kids as well, this is the second instance of the show where we've seen the cops instead of rescuing the people who are in danger go after the bad guys and fight them which just continues my rant about how like cops are bad and maybe we should hire people who are not weeded out of their job by being too smart um anyway yeah we uh we after this it basically the entire fight scene just ends like yeah and it's it's completely out of the blue. And then this is where we get to the scene I talked about earlier that I guess must not have been in your version, which is wait, wait, wait a second. So wait, this scene, your scene happens before Hobie apologizes to Mitch on the Marina. Sure does. That makes no sense. Yep. Okay. I agree. The next scene in the version <laughs> I saw, which is that, which is Eddie is sitting backwards on a chair, like a very cool teacher watching the Idaho couple eat just like a fuck ton of KFC. Like each of them, (laughs) each of them have like a 20 piece bucket and an enormous bowl of coleslaw in front of them. And they are just going fucking ham on this KFC. And Eddie says that he talked to the couple's parents. So earlier in the episode, Eddie and Shawnee are like, why don't you just call your parents? And both of them are right, like, right. our parents disapprove of us as a couple. And one of them is like, our parents are, my parents are rich, but they won't give us money or tickets or something. And Eddie is like, in this scene, I call. They won't, they won't give us Dave and Buster tickets. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to win our trip back home if we don't have enough tickets from Dave and Buster's? <laughs> Honestly, if Dave and Buster's had airplane tickets as a reward, I would use Holy shit. the fact that I used to have Super Mario DDR for the GameCube as my way to travel around the world, and it would be great. What? Yeah. Um, Super Mario DDR, okay. by the way. Ooh, it's so good. Love it. Wait, wait. Uh, there's not. Is there a DDR pad? For oh, it yeah, too? absolutely. And it has Mario okay, on it. So- so now this is the important question, Morgan, now that you have been educated. Mm-hmm. If you had to rank uh, Super Mario DDR up against Dance It's Your Stage <laughs> featuring everyone's favorite song, Mothers Be Aware, the greatest song ever created, which one would you say rates higher? I mean, from a comedy perspective, definitely 
dances to your stage. But from the perspective of a 13-year-old who hates all forms of exercise, but is allowed to play an additional minute of World of Warcraft for every minute he spends exercising, and DDR counts as exercise, I'm going to rate Super Mario DDR higher. Wow, you just got me hyped. (laughs) I mean, what other DDR game has a cover of the theme song to... I don't know if theme song is the appropriate term, but we're going to use that to um, the the main thematic song from the opera Carmen, but as covered by Mario sound effects as one of its tracks that you can dance to. Wait, what? Yes. So they have the main opera from Carmen, but done with Mario sound effects. So like like coin noises Mm -hmm. and Yahoo and exactly. Is this on YouTube? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I've never looked. Okay, well, uh, after this episode, I'm going to do a little digging, uh, because that sounds... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Maybe this is an exaggeration. (laughs) Just maybe. But that sounds like quite possibly the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I will definitely have to find you a version of this, because it's very good. But yeah, let's, uh, let's finish up this episode real quick. There's not much left. Uh, yeah, Eddie, Eddie says he called one of the couple's parents and they've bought tickets for the couple to go back home. And then Shawnee offers to drive them to the airport instead of taking a cab. And the couple says, Oh yeah, that would be great. And then keeps sitting there eating KFC until Eddie clears his throat and glares at both of them. In which case they both grab a piece of chicken and go, Oh mm, yeah, we should go and run off. And Shawnee follows them and hands the keys to Eddie and says, Okay, this time you can drive. And it's the weirdest what? fucking scene. Um why? Why? I will have to you'll have to watch this scene later because it's so awkward. Oh, I will absolutely look it up. Yeah. Um but yeah, next we cut to the final scene which is the kids being rescued and Mitch like Hobie goes up to Mitch and says I'm in trouble, right? And Mitch says, well, why did you do that? And Hobie says, I just felt I needed to get away, which is not how 12-year-olds talk. Like, having been a pretentious-as-shit 12-year-old, that is not how 12-year-olds talk. It is absolutely not. But the last little exchange is that Mitch tells Craig that he's fired because Mitch and Gail are just going to work out custody on their own. And then Craig says, hmm. That'll be a hundred dollars. And then we cut to the credits and that's it. Before we get into thoughts, Mm -hmm. because it's relevant, I'd like to read to you the plot, the quick plot synopsis of next week's episode, because it's very relevant. Next, the next episode is called The Sky is Falling. Okay. And here is the plot synopsis. Mitch takes Gail to court to keep the custody of Hobie. Which I'm like, wait, I thought they just worked it out. Wait, like what? What happened? Um, so uh, a plane crashes into water near the beach with two occupants after they are rescued, looking to recover a suitcase of stolen money they had with them. Captain Thorpe decides to join Eddie and Shawnee on their tower in order to teach them. Thorpe later detains the money thieves in a way that impresses Eddie. Um, but which I assume I means he beats the shit out of them. Uh, I hope. 
But uh, I thought when I read that, I was like, well, that seems really weird because they seem like they were getting along. But then they probably realized oh, we need a way to write Gail off. So let's make her the villain again, of course, because we got to make Mitch the good guy protagonist. But with that said, Morgan, I'm going to make this our official rating scale. All right. On a scale of one to ten, with one being you're barefoot on a soggy beach, there's some mud and there's a twig underneath your foot and you step in it being a one <laughs> and 10 being smelling Mitch's abs. <laughs> where does this, where does this land? I'm going to give it, Ooh, man, this is tough. I think, I think I'm going to give it about a seven and a half, which I'm going to say is the approval you get from your stoner dad pirate after they come home from a weekend-long jam festival. Still a little bit high, <laughs> but very proud of you all the same. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm thinking maybe like a six and a half or a seven, which I'm going to rate as the infrequent moments uh of you in 1989 standing up for girl power before they just later on fuck you over. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was a okay episode. It wasn't as good as last week's episode. Uh, last week's episode was a lot better. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, uh, last week's episodes, I probably would have rated like an eight an eight and a half, maybe even a nine. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Um, but this week's episode, it had its moments, especially with all the sweet, sweet moments. The sweet, sweet moments. Uh, and I think what really helped is my version, which has these three just amazing contributions to music. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like forgettable stuff, like the main plot point of the pirates. It's forgettable. And the Idaho couple is forgettable. I mean, I didn't have that final scene with the KFC <laughs> and that probably would have improved it. I think the Taco Bell stuff was kind of it was pretty disgusting uh, if mm -hmm. if I may say like it was very much the 1989 version of well this isn't racist but then the 2020 version of oh well this is racist mm -hmm. uh, because it is and the Shawnee Eddie plot like I I get there I I mean I hope they're building tension to something you know greater but I'm not necessarily um, positive that's going to happen. Yeah. I hope so as well, but it just felt so out of nowhere on this episode. Like, they've been so friendly and flirty this entire show. For them to all of a sudden just, like, hate each other this episode felt really weird. You know, it, it's it's funny you say that because, like... The way that they are written is the way that my anxiety write, writes real people. Yeah. <laughs> which is that which is that they're like, you know, hot and like hot one minute, cold the next minute. Um, and that they can do one single thing that makes someone's entire opinion of you change and their interactions uh, vastly differ. Um and it does feel like now that I'm realizing that anxiety is has the logic of a 1989 TV show, <laughs> um, which 
oh wow that's gonna be a fun thing to talk about in therapy um but i i hope they write them better because the thing i've I realized after just watching five episodes, four episodes in a pilot of this show is I like Baywatch. Yeah. I legitimately enjoy this show. And this is apparently like the bad stuff of Baywatch. So I'm only probably going to like it more. And I want to see these characters play out because I'm actually enjoying this. And I didn't think I would actually enjoy Baywatch when we started this podcast. I would definitely agree with that. I assumed this was going to be a very just like, you know, time capsule and we're going to appreciate it for what it was at the time. It is a time capsule in some ways. Oh, it totally is. It totally is. But it's it really is more. I don't want to say more modern because I don't think that's totally true. But it's less archaic than I was expecting. Yes, I will. I will agree with that. And for right now, there is less sexual objectification than I was expecting. And I know it gets a lot grander later. Uh, but for right now, it's pretty tame. And I, I'm happy with that part, at least. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. As someone who my main exposure to Baywatch was those hyper-sexualized, slow-motion-running shots of a woman jiggling down a beach. There has been less of that than I was expecting, which has been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, but well, I mean, well, we haven't gotten to, like, peak Baywatch, which is, like, Pam Anderson era, so, like, it's probably gonna... Once we get to, like, Pam Anderson, Yasmeen Bleeth uh, era, we're probably gonna get a lot more of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm definitely curious to see how this show develops over its runtime. And that's been our constant thing is being so curious how this grows and almost feel, I almost at sometimes feel like so we're you and I are watching these once a week and I almost feel like that's not quick enough sometimes just because I'm like I want to know what happens and like <laughs> I don't want to spoil myself uh, and I accidentally did on like one or two things but that's just due to how we have to plan the show sure. um, that I have to like plan ahead and kind of know what's coming up. But even that, like, I'm just like, this show isn't happening fast enough for me. Cause I'm so curious, not because the show is slow because I'm just like, there's, I, I just want more Baywatch. Totally. What the, what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> but if you, the listener want more Baywatch, you're going to have to tune in next week for our next episode of Baywatch Rookie School. Michael, you got any final thoughts on this episode? (sighs) My only final thought on this episode is that I'm hopeful that over the course of the next few episodes, we get a little bit better B-plots. We have an exciting episode coming up in a few weeks here. Um, Maybe a little bit of a spoiler, uh, which we will have a guest on on our podcast i'm excited um i'm very excited uh very fun guest a friend of the podcast and the episode is going to be a little bit based around the name of this podcast um and so i'm excited to see some things that happen there also because morgan doesn't know there are some very interesting things that happen later on in this show uh, well, yes, in this show, of course, but in this season, and I don't, I, 
I cannot see the threads from where we are right now leading to that, but I'm interested to see how those grow. Um, I think this is one of those first episodes where we're really starting to see the long-term effects of this show, specifically like the Eddie and Shawnee relationship and the Gail Mitch relationship uh, playing out and they're establishing the firm ground of these characters. So I'm excited because I I don't know if any of it like really comes to fruition next week, but it's only just going to grow and grow and grow like like a giant tree, <laughs> uh, the giant tree that exists on this beach. Uh, but that's all I got. Yeah, I am excited to find out what it is that you're talking about, because I genuinely have no idea. There's so many things. There's one moment specifically, which when it does happen, I will tell you that this is the moment. Um, but you will also probably realize that you're like, this is the moment. Um, and so, yes. Yeah, I look forward to it. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrap. And I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. Ugh. <laughs>